was so excited when HBO announced they were doing this miniseries, Winning Time, about the rise of the Showtime Lakers, Los Angeles Lakers, because when I was in grad school in the 80s at Boston University, they, they just renamed, essentially, the NBA Finals to be the Lakers versus the Celtics. And playing Mr. Red Auerbach, the owner of the Celtics, is my old schoolmate from Boston University, Michael Chiklis. And am I right, Chick, that you are living a dream a little bit, playing at Red? You are absolutely correct. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 16th year, number 808, Michael Chiklis's Red. I could not have timed this better if I'd planned it. Last night, the Boston Celtics won the Eastern Conference Finals, beating the Miami Heat 100-96 and will now face my Golden State Warriors in Game 1 of the NBA Finals later this week. From the 1960s to the 1980s, Red Auerbach was first the coach, then the president and general manager of the Boston Celtics, and my old friend Michael Chiklis plays Red in the HBO series Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, the first season of which is now streaming on HBO Max. Winning Time, like Shakespeare's history plays, is highly fictionalized, but compelling, entertaining, and highly theatrical, which also describes Michael Chiklis, the Emmy and Golden Globe winning star of The Shield, The Commish, the first two Fantastic Four films, and the second season of Gotham. When I was in L.A. recently for my daughter's graduation, Michael and I had lunch at The Grove, next to its roaring fountain, and uh, Michael started our conversation by telling me a little of the background that feeds his performance in Winning Time, and also his career generally. Listen, I grew up in a house that were Celtics fans. My father was a hardcore dyed-in-the-wool, not just Celtics fan, but Red Auerbach fan, you know, specifically. He would always scream at the television, you see that guy? He's wicked smart. He knows how to win. He's a winner. He just loved, you know, he loved Red. He Well, in a, but in all seriousness, he saw the way he set the pick for teams to become championship teams. Yeah. He fostered that sort of attitude. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, he, it wasn't dictatorial. He wasn't like, this is my uh, my defensive scheme and you're going to fit into it yeah. or you're out. He didn't force guys to fit into his system. Yeah. But it was a culture of winning, a culture of c- teamwork. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But he gave the guys a sense of agency yeah. and he understood chemistry and he brought teams together in a way. Listen, every championship team you've ever watched, I don't care who it is, the, it, it, let's say the 2004 uh, Red Sox that broke through. Yeah. Uh, you know, the knuckleheads. Yeah. They, you, but they were knuckleheads because they were enjoying themselves. Yeah. And when you watch teams that have chemistry and enjoy themselves, that's the X factor that usually pushes them over the edge. Yeah. You know, into being a championship team because yeah. they're loose and enjoying it. Yeah. You know? It's like the, the great coaches and managers are the, are, the, are the people who are great casting directors. They're yeah. putting together the right combination of people. That's right. That's yeah. right. It's, you know, they say you can't force chemistry, and that's true, but you can foster it, yeah. and you can nurture it. You yeah. can bring people together. Like, the, I'm going to tell you a story that's very related to this about the late, great Scott Brazil. Scott Brazil was 
Campbell, the executive producer of The Shield, who was the non-writing executive producer, and he directed more episodes of The Shield than anybody else. And he died tragically in the midst of us shooting The Shield, uh, like in the fourth season uh, of ALS. Oh. Um, but we, in, the, in, the, in those first few seasons together, we became fast friends, and he was just an amazing guy. Um, and I asked him when I was becoming a producer on the show, you know, what is your criteria for um, hiring? And what, what, how do you put together, you know, I was asking him about being a producer. Yeah. And he said, Here, this is the way I, I do it. If you're the best actor in the world, but you're a bastard, you don't get the job. Conversely, if you're a subpar talent, but you're the loveliest person in the world, you don't get the job either. Yeah. I, I start with fundamentally decent human beings. Yeah. And then, if they're talented and cut the gig, what happens by doing that is all of a sudden you look right and left of each other, and you find a bunch of like-minded individuals pulling the oars at the same time. And that kind of chemistry starts to happen because you're all like-minded. You're, you're working toward the same goal. And you, you're showing up. You're, you have the same work ethic. And, I, and it was a great lesson. It was a wonderful thing to see. And, and, it's, and it's true. Every time I've been on a set or on a team, because basically, you know, and, and people, I finally feel vindicated too because a lot of people have made fun of me all over the years for all the sports analogies I make. Because I'm a Boston sure. sports guy. Sure. I'm constantly going, like, you know, talking about pulling the oars at the same time. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, and now, with all these different sports films and television shows that I'm doing, they're perfect that I could say them. Yeah, people are figuring it out. Yeah. Well, and I love, I, I know that Winning Time uh, uh, it plays fast and loose with some of the facts for, for dramatic purposes, but uh, one of the things I love about it is its theatricality. And 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 because it's a show about the Lakers, the Celtics, Larry Bird and Red Auerbach, and the enemy, and your, your, your first appearance as Red, it's like a super villain in a, in a, in a comic book movie. It's actually based on a very famous painting, and I can't remember the name of the painting, but I, I'm going I'm to look it up for you, and I'll show you, because it's really, they showed me it when, when and I know the painting. It's this amazing uh, Baroque oil painting. It's yeah. phenomenal. Um, and I was like, and it's the devil. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like Satan. Yeah. You know, and I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah. And I, so I know they were casting me in this in this light, but the fact of the matter is, if you were playing against Red Arbuck, he was Satan to you. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, you know, man, I've known Tom Brady for years. People think that he's Satan, but Tom couldn't be a sweeter, more lovely, philanthropic, lo husband, father, yeah. best guy in the world. Yeah. But yeah, if you're playing against him, you're gonna fucking hate this guy. Yeah. Because he's gonna beat your ass. Yeah. You know, he's just yeah. a competitor. Yeah. You know? Uh, listen, I've always said that fi film, theater, television, music, those are team sports. Yes, 100%. You know, when you're doing a, a film, it's tantamount to telling 150 cooks to go into a kitchen and cook one turkey dinner. Yeah. How, what's the chance of that turkey turning out yeah. anything other than a turkey? Yeah, that's really good. Point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, because the, you have there, you have to have equal parts of of, of 
you know, uh, of restraint and know when to throw your little bit of salt in there and when yeah. to not. Yeah. And when to let talented people be talented yeah. and, and not be dictatorial. Yeah. Uh, it's really a fascinating team sport. It is. And when people are team-oriented, they thrive in that. When they're dictatorial, not so much. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Well, I, I, well and the, uh, here's the other reason that I love uh, you being on Winning Time, because it finally gives you and I an excuse to talk about your career, because it's been glorious, I mean, to, glorious to my eyes, to my outside eyes. Your career has been glorious. I, and oh, thanks, I, well, and I think, I mean, I'm sure I know you've had struggles, as all actors yeah. do. Um, but it has been one, you have you have taken agency with your career in a way that I find admirable and I and I think inspiring to young actors who think oh I just got to sit around and wait for the next job to come in no. and that's not you can't do that you can't do that you absolutely have to be proactive when nothing's happen, happening make something happen yeah. uh, your relationships are everything the people that are around you are the people that will lift you up when you are in those inevitable dips. Yeah, yeah. And we all have them. That's just a part of the business. It ebbs and flows. It's secular. But I've been in a wonderful place where I learned very early on about this and that when I was dipping, if I turn to friends of mine, even if the, even if the project didn't happen, yeah. it has a way of stirring up the universe, you yes. know, like things happening yes. so that people catch wind of it. Work begets work. It just does. Yeah. And it keeps you in tune. Yeah. You know, uh, a musician that's been playing is in tune. Yeah. If you stop playing, you you fall out of tune. Yeah, you lose those muscles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 it's use it or lose it. And I, I'm my my only terror in all of this is complacency. But that's yeah. my father. My father was like, hey, listen, as soon as you start to be, to begin even to believe in your own hype, so begins the downfall. The decline, yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you will always learn until the day you die. You, you, and if it, that's what you should always try yeah. to do. I can never read all the books that I need to read. I can never see all the things I want to see. Yeah hear all the things I want to hear. There's just too much, but I'm going to try. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's all you can do. Hi, this is Cynthia Ryder, Managing Director of the Hartford Stage Company, and you're listening to the Reduce Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? We'll be visiting four cities this fall of 2022, performing Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel in Rolla, Missouri on September 21st, Bloomington, Illinois on September 23rd, Jasper, Indiana on September 25th, and the Wharton Center in East Lansing, Michigan on November 9th and 10th. Check out the touring page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed at Reduced for the latest information. Now back to my conversation with the Emmy-winning star of Winning Time, the rise of the Lakers dynasty, Michael Chiklis, who I'm hoping can confirm a story I've been telling for years. So here's my memory, and I'm so glad that you're here now because you can correct this memory, right. is that my memory is when you were, I think, a senior, 
the head of the head of the directing program at BU, Jacques Cartier, was directing a production of Hamlet, and we all and I was one of the assistant directors because I was in the grad directing program, and we all just went, oh well, well, Chickles will play Claudius, that'll be great, and then it became clear because we had heard rumors that you really wanted to be in Buried Child that one of the grad directors would play, and um, and here's my memory, I was reading opposite all the actors, you came into audition, and I just watched you reading opposite you, I watched you in my mind throw your audition just your heart wasn't in it your you you decided to say you know what i'm not i don't want to do this so here's i'm going to show you a bad audition i've never seen such a great actor give such a bad audition and it felt uh, it felt on purpose whether it was conscious or not no it wasn't conscious okay. it was right. it was because i think I was being relegated to all of the father older roles. I was be being relegated to. I had just played Sir Anthony Absolute in, you know, uh, right. what, uh, I forgot the name of the play, uh, uh, The Rivals. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, and I always, they always deferred me to those roles, and yeah, that was the common wisdom that I was going to yeah. play, play the usurping king, which is a great role, great role, and I'd love to play it now. Yeah. But I, you know, I was sort of bristling at the time, and I really had my eyes on Barry Child. Yeah. Because that was something I hadn't done, yeah. and that was something really super interesting to me. So did I throw the audition or blow it? No. I just don't think I was completely up for it. Yeah. I, I, and I, which is... I, whether it was conscious or not, it was so legit. I mean, because this is... The, when actors are auditioning... They are all, we are, the directors are looking at the actors, but the actors should also be looking at the project and the director. And if they don't want to be there, you are, actors are auditioning too, so they have the power to say no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've also really stunk up the room a bunch of times in auditions. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you one right now. Uh, you, you should know the situation you're walking into. Mm -hmm. Because one time, well, early in my career, I was auditioning for this thing, and I was so super prepared. I was, you know, I was ready. Yeah. And I walked in the room, and there's Henry Winkler. And I don't know what happened to me. He, it's Fonzie. I, lo I just froze. And I stunk up the room something awful. I just couldn't. Yeah. The blood rushed to my head, and I just couldn't put two lines together. So cut to, like, two years later. I'm up in Vancouver doing the commission. And someone taps me on the shoulder in the in the valet, and I turn around and it's Henry Winkler. He goes, "Can I ask you something?" <laughs> and I go, "Yes, Henry." He goes, "I love the commish. I watch it. You read for me. What the fuck was that?" <laughs> well, he didn't say that. He was like, "What the hell happened yeah, to you, basically?" Yeah, yeah. And I was like. No one told me it was you. No one told me I was going to be reading for you, and I completely was starstruck, and I didn't know what to do. And he goes, oh, that was it. Because I couldn't understand what happened to you because you were, like, glossed over, and I was like, it was because of you, schmuck. I couldn't... I couldn't think. Goddamn Fonzie. Fonzie. That's funny. So, you know, you really need to, you know, also you'd have to realize people put their pants on one leg at a time. You know, Henry Winkler's a person. Yeah. <laughs>
I, my first TV audition was for The Practice, and I walked in, and uh, David Kelly was there, and the other producers were there, wow. you know, and, wow. and, 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 and Jeffrey Kramer was there, and I had seen his name on the title page of the script. I went, Jeffrey Kramer, I wonder if that's the guy who played uh, Roy Scheider's deputy in Jaws. And so I walked into the room, and, and the first thing out of my mouth was just an impulsive, oh my God, you are the guy from Jaws. <laughs> and Jeffrey Kramer went, I love this guy, cast this guy. And that's how I got on a TV, that's my first TV game. But see, that was the right, that was yeah. the perfect response. <laughs> yeah. You were in the room, you didn't have an out-of-body experience like I did. You know, uh, auditioning has always been, you know, a hit or miss proposition. But I say this to young actors all the time. Um, some, a couple of things happened to me that made me a much better auditioner. When a couple of things were put into my head. It's not rejection, it's selection. Yeah, great. Which is a very great, great thing. Great. Um, and I really, that really hit home when I started directing, directing television. Well, the first time I directed a S.H.I.E.L.D. episode, um, there was this one role, guest starring role, very powerful female part, and 20 women came in and read for this part. And I'll be a son of a bitch, every single one of these women crushed it. Yeah. Every one of them. Yeah. And I was like, it was an embarrassment of riches, but I was like, huh, who do we, uh, you know. And then it became about who matched up to the other actors that were already cast, you know, who cost what, who was available. And it ended up being quite arbitrary who we ended up with. And they, I wanted to, I wanted to call every one of them yeah. individually and say to them, ladies, you all smashed it. I, I, I couldn't have asked for anything more, but we had to hire one person. Yeah. And if you only knew as a young actor these things and didn't take it personally. Yeah. And the other thing I tell people is you, when you're going into audition, think of it as you're planting a seed. This is an opportunity where you have the role for two to five minutes, and you're planting a seed, and whether you get that role or not, there's a casting director, there's a producer, there's a, a number of people who are seeing your work. Yeah. And if you're planting the best seed you can, it might germinate right away. Yeah. It might germinate in seven years. Yeah. And that happened with uh, Deb Aquila, who cast me in The Shield. I read for her, thought she hated me, never heard from her again. Turns out she said to me, when I saw you in that audition, I kept on looking for the right thing for you. And then when The Shield came up, she was like, this is it. And The Shield was a, a new big swing for you, right? After the commission, it was a kind of a reinvention of you as, a, as an actor. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was looking to reinvent at the time because I was being a, once again, you, I have this history of, of bristling when I get put into a box yeah. or a pigeonhole yeah. or whatever the expression is, a, a typecast. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, after doing several roles in this certain area, the roly-poly affable guy, yeah. I was like, I don't want to do that again. I want to do something adult and hard-hitting and smart, you know, and, and, and something that is relevant, has something to say. And, I, you you know, there, it's something to be said for manifesting and, and putting your energies towards something. Mm -hmm. My wife said something brilliant. I've said this many times in the press, but I'm going to repeat myself because 
I got to credit my wife when credit is due, and she said, you know, Michael, it's not incumbent upon the uh, studios or the networks to reinvent you. It's incumbent upon you to reinvent yourself. Yeah. Because they're looking at it like... And show them who you are. Yeah, they're looking at, you know, if you're, think about it, if you're an executive and you've got a, a, a billion dollar spade of stuff in front of you, you start to grab things as puzzle pieces. Mm -hmm. Austin, Titchener fits into this yeah. spot yeah. and Chickless fits into this one and yeah. so on. And it's not, they're not going to reshape and invent you in the way that... You, they don't know, right? And you, you can't look at them and go, "Oh, they're not creative." It's what they've seen. It's yeah. how they know you. Yeah. So you, if you want to give them that new thing, you have to do it. Yeah. Whether in, in my case, I spent three hours a day in the gym for six months and worked my ass off and changed my physique. Yeah. And came in with my head shaved and and I said, "I'm going to make them fear me." That's was my mission statement in that. Audition. Yeah. This guy is a raging bull, and he's he's he would make anyone in a room afraid, and yeah. I'm going to make them afraid. Yeah. <laughs> no. And it only led to how many Emmys? Just one Emmy, but a bunch of nominations. And <laughs> <laughs> a Golden Globe. <laughs> and yet here you are playing the affable, roly-poly, pugnacious Red Arbach. Yeah, that's right, right back full circle, exactly. <laughs> That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing where Michael talks about his next project, which I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. Michael Chicklins and I talked for another 25 minutes about his love for the stage and his possible return to it, and his feelings about William Shakespeare, both the plays and the man, and I'll share that conversation with you in a few weeks. In the meantime, you can follow Michael on both Twitter and Instagram at Michael Chiklis. Then send us your manifested reinvention via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com or visit my website, theshakespeareans.com. Thanks, as always, to ever-loving, blue-eyed Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Lauren Coffs. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Cynthia Ryder, managing director of Hartford Stage Company, who was in the same class as Michael and in that Boston University production of Hamlet and remains the funniest and best Polonius I've ever seen. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe, get your boosters, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 808 2424ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. I've said in recent years, now I'm old enough to play the commish. Yeah, right. You know, That's right? You were playing I, 10, 15 years older than you were. Right, exactly. And we we kind of knew that in college, didn't we? I mean, and you know, you got to exploit your strengths to get the door open to get yeah. get in there. But I've been, you know, my wife always laughs at me and goes, "Your your career is ass backwards." You know, you 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 played a 40 something year old commissioner in your 20s. Right. Then you played a hard-ass cop in your late 30s, early 40s, a superhero in your 40s. Yep. Uh, and now I just did, I played the oldest college football player in the history of college football. And I got to tell you, 
I'm Austin, for no other reason, I'm so proud of myself because nothing went snap. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I played football with college, Division One and Division Two college football players. And I played football with them. I was the captain of my football team, but I'm 59. Yeah. Well, I will be in August. I'm yeah. 58 years old. Yeah. And, you know, that first time I hit this kid named Willie Bell, Willie Bell, man, 6'2", 235. All muscle. All muscle. Man, holy shit, my teeth rattled in the back of my head. I thought I was going to die. Yeah. And I hit him. Yeah, right, I know. You know, yeah. he and he took the hit. He, he didn't really resist. No. I was like, Willie. And he was still standing. Oh, yeah. yeah. What are you made of? He's like, what do you mean? Wow. 23-year-old athlete. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less.